From the unexplained to the mundane, come join us on a journey to the fringe. Welcome to our first episode. My name is Taylor. My This is my sister, Chelsea. Hello. We have interests in fringe topics, done a lot of research in our lives. We've decided that we would like to take a crack at podcasting and start with general overviews of many of our areas that we like to do research into. Our first hopefully, episode. Hopefully they find it entertaining, maybe. <laughs> Or we just make our points of views, yes. yeah, the way we talk about it. So our yeah. first topic will be modern day UFOs. We're going to talk about really where this time frame really starts, what's occurred during this time, what people have experienced, and notable cases that fall within this time period. Basics of UFOs, what you probably already knew, but if you don't, now you know. And you now have the basics. And most importantly, we're going to find out areas, well, we're at least going to talk about areas that we would like to do further dives into to give us ideas for further episodes that we'll be exploring after this. There's lots. Every single one, I think, could be a standalone episode. There's so much to it. Chelsea, how about you get us started here with really when do UFO sightings really start? in human history so it's really hard to pin down when they first actually start because um at this point when you go so far back they're really 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 easy to debunk and say no that never happened that was proven that it was wrong there's no real photos which there are now um which you'll i talk about the first ufo sighting ever recorded i have as I wanted to go with 1460 BC as the oldest UFO sighting, which was in Lebanon, and it is called The Star Defeats the Nubian. And um, just to give a bit of clarity on that, that would be the location where modern day Lebanon is. Don't think the country of Lebanon does go back that far. No, probably not. As I, I think it goes back to about the 40s. <laughs> So yeah, I just, I also to say that uh, so many of these early ones are debunked hoax and so on. I mean, I found, was able to find ones going back to Egypt all over the place. And there's really famous things going back, which I'm sure you heard of, like famous TV shows doing ancient aliens. So there's a lot of stuff within history in art and religious texts going back as far probably as humans go in history about uh sightings and so on so the yeah, at least written account wise it basically goes back as far as humans have been writing I and think even further because you see arts petroglyphs and stuff like that where it's all up to the person who's looking at well, it yeah uh <laughs> that, what they're uh, first night that you referenced so for the lebanon case that'll be because it is written down that there was something that occurred and it is so far back in time that it is really hard to investigate what occurred there's not going to be any evidence left like radiation on the ground or a craft that is still there after thousands and thousands of years yeah and a lot of these cases end up getting chalked up whether it's egyptian mesopotamian Greek, they all get chalked up as either myths or parts of ancient religions that we no longer really care yeah. about. I find that nobody is really working towards proving this exists versus they're really just trying to say, nope, that doesn't. Well, 
I, I think there are people working towards it somewhat. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and I, I think it's a little bit more grifting than anything else in the sense that they see that there's money to be made and you can play fast and loose with the rules of archaeology when you're looking at this stuff in people's minds because it is a fun thing to look at. It is. Um, and I don't know. I always like when people say they get into UFO to make money because, well, I don't know. Do they? Some people Anyhow, do. I'm sure I don't know it. that that's much the subject of this. We are digressing. No, not at this point. <laughs> uh, I do think it's safe to say, though, that a big problem with a lot of these, when we're talking about these would be considered the ancient uh, yes. sightings, if at all, is that science does approach this from a viewpoint of skepticism that you do need when you're making wild claims. You need pretty wild evidence to back it up. And Which we're just looking at a point not. in time. Yeah. yeah. Where we're not going to find that unless we find a time machine. But at that point, I don't know if that's where I want to go, honestly. <laughs> Too many diseases. I don't know the language. Food's probably yeah. not that great. Probably not. I mean, alcohol <laughs> technology is at its peak so far in human history right now. So I don't know if I want to go back there and have their beer. Probably not. And plus the people stomping on the grapes with their feet. Yeah, but I, this is definitely something we would love to do a further dive into. There is a lot of good people who have done some rough research in this area, Jacques Vallée being one of them. Mm -hmm. Other people, such as Zachariah Stitchin, which is a very polarizing person in the UFO mm -hmm. community, has also looked into this, and uh, a few other ones. Famously, so I, I, yes. I, yes. <laughs> I think it is worth going into at a future date, this prehistory <laughs> of humans and humans' rise, uh, sightings yeah. that occur in this time. There is a lot. There, There's a lot to go into. There's even Greek philosophers writing about life existing outside of Earth. There, there's a lot to go into. Also, just as a quick mention of history, there's also the Vimana in the Hindu texts and Sanskrit epics coming from India. I mean, that one doesn't go back as far as I'm talking now. No, it's pretty darn ancient. close, though. It is BC. Yeah. So then I have the 1883. Um, so I mean, still going far back, not ancient, uh, but uh, I have the Bonilla observation, which is the first photograph of a UFO. This is where an astronomer, Jose Bonilla, saw over 300 objects crossing the sun. And there's actually a photograph he has of it. I have some first here. 1887, one of the first sightings of a USO, which is an unidentified submerged, ob submerged object. It lasted five minutes in total. Witnesses were on the Siberian, observing a sphere of fire rising out of the ocean and then flew off against the wind as it took off out of there. And uh, yeah, that's USOs are definitely something I'd love to do an entire episode yeah. on. Oh, definitely. At least one episode because they, they yeah. appear a lot. I've always gone with um, unidentified submersible objects when I'm describing those just because the term submerged implies it stays below water. Okay. I can so, get behind that because yeah. obviously okay. they got to come out for us to... Uh, well, not all them. of them technically come out, but they're all submersible if they go in the water. I wonder... I've never heard of this. I wonder if there's any reports of them being sighted under the water. Oh, yeah. You have oh, yeah. There's ones where, the, oh, yeah, that's uh, especially, I forget the name of the book. It's not mentioned in this today's episode. There's a couple of authors that went to Russia and looked through their archives, and they wrote a book exclusively on USOs in Russian archives. And there are some that were spotted under there? 
Oh yeah, there's lots of uh, humanoid encounters as well that are strictly underwater. I don't know why, but I find that a lot more unsettling that if I was to find, spot something identified on here on my domain. Well, I, on land. I think it's fine. If it's just in the water, like you can stay on the land. I don't know. No, I I also don't but, like deep dark water. So yeah, I know you don't like fish. No, <laughs> or like going into the ocean or anything. It's just creepy. And <laughs> what could be down there? Lots of things that I don't want near me. And oh USOs, yeah, actually, I'm adding to um, one of those things I yeah. don't want to see down there. And this will actually come up in the next episode. We want to do um, one of the most recently discovered giant cryptids was found in the ocean fair worse uh, not found but uh finally uh acknowledged by science in the ocean really oh yeah well i'm excited to hear more about this okay so next for the quick overview of history i have the great airship wave which is 1896 to 1898 so this is the first large-scale ufo flap in modern history and what is a flap I really like, I have here in my notes, I really like that we keep hearing flap coming up. This is so, the first time we've used it in the episode, so but it comes I up know, a lot I've when you're looking I've seen the word flap <laughs> so many times. And I just, it got me interested. I use it with UFO flap. I, I had to go look up a definition. This is from actual a dictionary. So I think this is what it falls under which may or may not be to be confirmed a state of excitement or agitation such as a tizzy or uproar. Is that uh, why they're called flappers? I don't know. No, maybe. Like the 1920s dress. I don't know. I don't think that, so. I could really see that like being described as a fun night's outing in uh, the 1920s. A tizzy or an uproar? Or, yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe you're right. Drinking um, your bootleg alcohol. <laughs> and then it's also something that generates an uproar. So that's what I think. That's probably where it comes from. However, it was a term that was obviously came from somewhere. So first proposed by John Keel. And there's several flaps, as I was just saying, here's where you're going to see them come up more. There's several flaps throughout history, including the one I just mentioned. So there's some big ones. I mean, I don't know if I want to go through all the years, but yeah, they I happen quite frequently <laughs> throughout history, these flaps. And I think we might actually be adding 2020 to the roster because, I don't know, this might fit here. But actually, when I was researching this, I found out that in 2020 versus 2019, lots of news outlets reported as much as a 50% increase in reportings, which is strange because people shouldn't have been going outside, but maybe they were going outside to be alone. Um, Not in groups of people and actually, looking one up. thing that I think would be really interesting for this is the fact that there's less airplanes in the sky. So there's some less things that you can misidentify. Very true. So uh, a lot of people do say that things in the sky lead to more odd sightings. It might be the exact opposite when there's, you know, there shouldn't be things in the sky and you're seeing things. True. There was this, a while uh, there where there was during. pretty much nothing in the sky. Oh, yeah. But it also could be people taking up a hobby for the first time, just looking up at the sky and just frankly yeah. less light pollution out there that led to people more sightings. Simple as that. <laughs> uh, it's going to be an interesting time for researchers to go out there and figure out what the hell's going on. Uh, outside of everything that we've talked about with flaps, really, that is all pre-modern day UFO. 
And oh, except sorry, for, one thing. Except for the one that I just just mentioned. Yeah, except that was for what you had just said. That's right now. <laughs> so forget about also that. Also, pre UFOs. <laughs> um, generally, I I should have added this earlier. When people are studying UFOs, it is fairly not regarded well within scientific communities. They do get belittled. It's going to come up a lot when we're looking at the scientific looks. But the general term for it is ufology, not ufology, because <laughs> you cannot just take a uh, acronym and say half the word is an acronym and then go ology. It, uh, so it is ufology and it is the study of it. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of classes on it. Uh, I do believe the mutual UFO network MUFON, and there I go just saying half acronym, half word. But uh, yeah. MUFON does, in fact, together. do some short courses that you can take home and do. But uh, that'll definitely be its own course, or its own episode that we might talk about at a future date. Yeah, I wonder if you have to pay money for that. I'd be You interested. do have to pay money, but uh, I have actually learned a lot about them. And I was looking at being a field reporter for them. I forget the actual word. So I do know a lot about it. It's really interesting. Employee? You don't get paid, unfortunately. <laughs> a volunteer. So um, up until that 1897 UFO flap with the airships, incredibly interesting sightings in that time period. I honestly have always thought it would make a really good miniseries that HBO could do, as in like a journalist of that time sitting through all these cases coming in and all the things going on. Yeah. It is still pre-modern day UFO sightings. And from my experience with it just now, everyone's going, that's been a hoax. <laughs> That doesn't that didn't happen <laughs> with all those ancient things. Yeah. So um, from there. So yeah, we come up on World War II, and this is where humans are now taking to the sky more readily. War, among other things. We have planes. So here we have foo fighters, which is really hard to research without sifting through thousands of unrelated articles to Dave Gruel. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Which and is, just so that we are all clear, search, it was really yes. hard to find the Foo Fighters, the things. Yeah, go ahead. If you want to differentiate the two different Foo Fighters we're talking about here. Yeah, so we're doing the what will soon to be known be known as the UFOs. The other one's a band. <laughs> so, and yes, now you that are that. named after the ufos Who, yes. that were seen during they are world named war after ii these guys it is not they have all these sightings from world war ii <laughs> hey that band's got a catchy yeah. name Let's just call them hey that. isn't that dave girl <laughs> um, and so... i don't believe as far as i know he's not an avid ufo researcher i think he's just heard the name and liked it i for all the re the stuff that came up when i put in foo fighter um i do not know where their name why they chose foo fighter just that that is where their name came from and then I went on to search more and more to find the actual information on Foo Fighters. So Foo Fighter was like a nonsense word thrown out by a radio operator. Didn't really mean anything. It was in a popular comic book at the time. They were thought to be enemy aircraft, a new weapon that was being used. And it was late, long, not long, but it was later found out to be that the Nazis were seeing these objects as well. I'm actually... I'm not sure if this came up in your research on this part. Do you know if the Japanese saw them? Yes. They did. Uh, so okay. I use Nazis as a very specific term, um, but it was they were spotted on both sides. 
Well, no, but the the Nazis and the Japanese fought on the same side. It's just that yeah. um, the Japanese fought in the Pacific theater and the Nazis fought on the uh, European front uh, uh, theater. It was very and, vague in it. Yeah, the fact that it was spotted by both sides, so I can actually confirm that the Japanese did. You bring up a very good point, uh, but it did say they were spotted kind of by everyone. Okay. And that's, um, yeah, I've never done the research as to whether or not the Japanese saw them. That just is something that came to my mind that I realized I'm not sure about. Yes. I was assuming that they had under that general, everyone had yeah. seen them. <laughs> I know. And it's kind of general. They don't really talk about where they were specifically sighted a lot of the time, whether or not it was all over Germany, all over England. There um, are the a African lot theater. of, yeah, there were, there are a lot of, a lot of sightings. And I believe there is a lot over France over, I mean, that's where they were fighting, I guess. So that's just where it kind of yeah. came up. There are a lot of sightings. I didn't want to throw them all out here. And um, uh, I, I think it is important to note at this point that these are really the only things in the sky, like commercial flights aren't happening during World War II. Especially over battlefields uh, where yeah. the planes Satellites are. are not in the sky. Sputnik is still at least a decade, if not two for oh, two decades away from being in the sky. Uh, and then that's the only satellite in the sky for almost a decade. Yeah. Um, so, so there's they're not a known... lot to misidentify with. Yeah, not really. <laughs> I mean, who knows, right? I mean, these guys are trained to know what they're looking at. Which is, I mean, a lot of the stuff that we have to cover are all military sightings, yeah. Uh, which I find interesting. So they were known to be fast-moving, fiery objects, which followed the planes, aircraft, glowing red, white, and orange. There is a variety of colors. And like I just said, the, so what I love about the Foo Fighters, as with all military sightings, is that these are trained professional pilots to know what they're looking at generally speaking if you have a pilot saying they they're seeing something it's taking a little bit more seriously than those people in 2020 out looking up in their backyards <laughs> seeing you know no people trained um, to look at the sky people get a little trained more behind their true uh, yeah their views versus those like sometimes i get excited Although if i see a plane yeah, I know. At the same time, I forget his name, that most current UFO sighting that To the Sky Academy released. Tom DeLong? Yeah, Tom DeLong's group. I can't remember the guy's name, but he was a um, Air Force pilot. Well, Luis Elizondo? Elizondo, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. Elizondo's the one who released it. He's not the pilot. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, you're right. But he gets discredited hard by a lot of people who are just looking to disprove that case. Yes. And they don't well, give him any credence. So it's yeah, really, it depends on who's looking at it. Looking to disprove. Um, also, I, I think it is a good time, as we didn't do it earlier, to um, identify what a UFO is. And that is an unidentified <laughs> flying object. The U is very important in this because that U can literally make that anything so long as it's in the air. As soon as you know what it is you're looking at, it becomes an IFO, an identified flying object. In which case it's probably called something a lot yes, more specific. You probably have a better name for it than an IFO, because that's a really lame name to just call things in the sky. I'm gonna start calling airplanes. That. Yeah. I at know what that some is. Point in time, the US government stopped calling them UFOs. There are 
several other acronyms that they've used. The most common one, which comes up later on here, is UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, which I do, in fact, think is a more all-encompassing term, as UFO implies two things and all of these sightings technically meet. One is that it's flying, it's propelled through the sky, which, honestly, if it's a weather balloon, it's not actually flying. It's floating. It, but it is in the air, so aerial works better. And object implies there has some mass to it, whereas sometimes it's a trick of the light. It's aerial phenomena. So technically, it is a better term. I honestly think that they just changed it so it's harder to find this when you're researching it. It very well could be. There's a lot of different names that they go by. Yeah. A lot of different and flaps and incidents. Anomaly. Yeah. There's just a lot going on all over the place. And I mean, it's not... It is seriously studied. There's a lot of people who do really good work. But they um, are not in it for the money when they're actually doing the good work. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, I <laughs> thought that was a great time to do that. Why don't you keep going you're, with your world work? You're right. We're kind of throwing things in where we see them fit. So I do have my, what I think is the first sighting here of a Foo Fighter. So the time is 1944. Pilots are operating at night. Uh, pilots who are operating at night report an aircraft which look like Christmas lights. Um, they did not appear hostile, hostile, however, followed and maneuvered as if under intelligent control, eventually disappearing completely. And I just have to throw it in here that I always enjoy that it's mentioned that it did not appear hostile. However, we could not shoot them down or maneuver out of them. I find well, a lot. Yeah, that's actually, I like that a lot that they tested whether or not they're hostile by firing at them. Yeah. Yeah, it actually happens a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I have some other things I'll talk about. And it, it gets really out of hand with humans really fast. I do really like that, though. Are they hostile? I don't know. I'll find <laughs> out. <laughs> but we are. <laughs> and then they just shoot at it to make sure it's not absolutely not hostile. So after Foo Fighters, I have the Battle of Los Angeles. Which, and that that is during World War II as well. It is during World War II. It's getting more towards the end of World War II. So to set the scene, Pearl Harbor has just happened less than a year prior. Uh, American cargo ships are being attacked in the West Coast waters by Japanese submarines. Which yeah, leads and to the, the West Coast waters at this point, I do believe, are kind of just Japan's playground as well. They are. When the U.S., after Pearl Harbor happened, the U.S. went in hard on the European front, and they just kind of disregarded Japan until Germany was defeated and they start the Pacific Theater. So there is yeah. a lot of fear. There's a large reserve on the West Coast, but they're not actively really fighting the Japanese on the West Coast. They, uh, The Japanese, and I talk about it here a little bit, they're kind of... They're doing some stuff, but I think they're just kind of trying to strong arm and show, like, look at me. So, oh, yeah, they had some wild plans, too. Like, they had a plan where they were releasing... I believe it. They have the kamikaze pilots. Well, they have that. But, no, I'm talking, like, they had um, plans to fill balloons and drop mini bombs that are carried to the U.S. by um, wind currents. And uh, they did actually start forest fires in Oregon during this time. Yes, that came up in my research here, actually. It's hilarious. So this led to the West Coast being on high alert. So entire regions had schools shut down and shops were ordered to black out. And they were bracing for an imminent invasion. So just a day prior to the Battle of Los Angeles, a Japanese sub was spotted a mile offshore. 
and it had shot at a refinery near Santa Barbara. Uh, this is the bombardment of Elwood. Nothing hit, but as I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure just by what I just set up, it really freaked everybody out and everyone's starting to feel the tension. Uh, so the mass sighting happened early 1942, February 24th into the 25th. And there are sightings. So radars did pick up unidentified targets. There is 25 slow moving silvery planes overhead in a V formation. And an experienced Navy officer observed through binoculars nine silver aircraft. So the Navy officer observed the nine silver aircrafts. Did were who stated there were 25? I can't remember offhand on this. I don't have that readily That's available. Okay. Yeah, sorry. I should have put that in. These weren't necessarily the first sightings, but I just picked out a few different things of what was sighted. So obviously this was concerning and sound the air raid sirens and in comes the military unloading more than 1400 anti-aircraft shells into the night in Los Angeles. Yeah, so this is the beginning of the US military industrial complex building up this supply of weapons that they've just been hankering to have an excuse to use. And, For, and boy, I'm not howdy, sure. did they show their might and not kill anything. Okay, but there was some damage and some civilians. So there is five civilians died uh, in friendly fire. Friendly fire. It was friendly fire, various reasons. So, including stray bullets, car accidents because of the 1400 loads being left off rounds being sent off into the skies over Los Angeles. I'm sorry, I find this hilarious. Can you imagine? But everyone was probably so terrified. Yeah, honestly, it, it feels it bad, mass hysteria. at the same time, this is almost 80 years ago. you got to be able to find yeah. humor in it now. And then someone had reportedly passed away from a heart attack. So it was later proven that this attack had nothing to do with the Japanese. And now I just get to tell the story of the military going crazy and loading all this uh, anti-aircraft towards something that was probably not hostile <laughs> again. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of people, when they look at it from a skeptical point of view, they just say that all of this really came about due to the hysteria at the time and almost almost like a mass hallucination. That well, somebody, if you, it, somebody says, I saw something in the sky and everybody kind of freaks out from there. Yes, and related to everything that I said going into there to set my scene, I'm sure people were terrified, especially when entire regions were being blocked out and told to, you know, stay in your houses. Apparently there were riots because one store didn't block black out. So <laughs> there was riots in the streets so that it would black out. Oh, um, it's a uh, very interesting to think about how they could do that back in the day. And we can't all get a mask on oh. <laughs> off topic. It's very difficult. Um, so that leads me, obviously, I'm just going to do a really quick little thing on this one because this one can get carried away really quickly, but I have to mention it, World War II, uh, Nazis and the UFO bell. This one goes into Nazi occultism, reports of Nazi getting their hands on UFO technology by various means, depending on what theory you would subscribe to <laughs> on well, how Nazis even, would have got UFO technology. 
even without having to go with UFO technology, they they had some high level physicists and they especially did. rocket engineers. Yeah. Had they actually not been so anti-Semitic, they would have likely had the first nuclear weapon. Like yeah. no question. Oh, they it. would. They, they didn't came believe, away. They believed with quantum some physics really high... for Jewish science, so they would not actually. Uh, they discredited physics for that. I didn't and know they that. Just didn't want to do that. Yeah. That's, uh, that's when uh, Einstein, that's why Einstein moved over. And um, a lot very of interesting from there. Yeah. And then we see the Americans, uh, well, all, all over people trying to uh, scoop these guys up after the war. Yeah. And honestly, um, that's that's Project Paperclip, which we could talk about in a different day. Um, there's a, a lot. lot of people getting away with a lot of stuff because they think they're smart people. So again, this is also linked to the Foo Fighters because they're linked to, I mean, at the beginning of the war, they were specifically linked to the bad guys in the war. I mean, they were later found out everyone was seeing them. And then just a quick mention here, this is not wartime by any means, uh, but this even is tied into the Kecksburg incident in Pennsylvania in 1965, where a uh, Bell UFO crash landed and there is a very large amount of witnesses in the area and yeah, it was the little immediately the little boy that saw it described it as an acorn shape right yes yeah there's multiple witnesses going it's a really interesting case tons of witnesses on this one and almost immediately the military was called in and the area was sealed off there's there's a lot of sightings with it and yeah well, that's my little part on world war ii lot more could have come from that oh yeah so much can come that was from there. the bare minimum <laughs> you can go about eight different directions on standalone episodes from there yeah but oh, uh, you can absolutely and then you can honestly move to different cultures from there depending on which way you want to go with your ufo research i think we naturally just kind of came back to north america yes and that's where we, we are yes and it's <laughs> easiest for people who only speak english to investigate yep so now we are coming up on Roswell, 1947. Arguably, this is going to be one of the most infamous UFO cases. So if you've never heard of a UFO case, this is probably going to be the one that you've probably heard of. I can see why so much time is spent on this one for obvious reasons once we get through this. However, I really think that there's a lot better cases and sightings, which I think should be thought of before Roswell. Those are going to come in episodes come. I, I um, really so, think it's just because of the military initial response that this one is. Absolutely. I, I think that's absolutely why this is one of the most memorable cases for sure uh, is because of the response by the military. Roswell is a small town in New Mexico. The farmer Mac Brazel, so July 4th, 1947, stumbles upon a huge debris field like nothing he'd ever seen before when he's out in his pasture. The night before, there had been sightings over the skies of Roswell, New Mexico. Sightings of what? Sightings of light. Just strange lights in the sky. I don't know that it was much more than strange lights in the sky. It is the actual debris that makes Roswell what it is. The debris uncovered. So, sorry, I'm jumping ahead here. So, we have a sheriff called in and immediately 
he it, the sheriffs are calling in the military because they see this debris that's uncovered the b- debris uncovered is including a tin foil like metal which can be crumpled and then assumes its original shape uh, it couldn't burn it couldn't break almost exactly like tin foil so just saying without the crank <laughs> the- <laughs> Tinfoil does stay crinkled. <laughs> also, balsa wood type material with hieroglyphics on it are recovered. Like I said, the sheriff calls in the Roswell Army, and there are multiple witnesses in this time of military personnel claiming or witnessing that they themselves loaded unusual wreckage onto flatbed trucks for classified locations such as Fort Worth or Los Alamos, which are still major bases implicated with holding this debris still to this day. Three days later, on July 8th, the Air Force releases a press release that a flying saucer uh, UFO had been recovered. Where the f- And this is where you've probably seen the famous UFO photo of Jesse Marcel holding UFO wreckage and the headline of saying yes UFO this is a UFO that the military has recovered in Roswell New Mexico he's posing with the debris one day later July 9th the military goes "Mm, (laughs) that was a bad decision we're just gonna take this back I still laugh about it because I just think Either the military thinks that they're really, really smart, or we're really Nobody stupid. Nobody pays attention. That was probably Nobody bad will remember. It was really bad PR for them to just be like, mm, "Take it back." We're just probably the- yeah. We're just gonna take it back. We're just gonna take it back. So it's retracted. They issue a press release saying, "Sorry." That was not right. And it was a weather balloon from Project Mogul. Obviously, this is where it gets steam here. This is why it's probably one of the most renowned UFO cases. Because they did actually put it out that it was a UFO. And really, they should have thought about it a little bit longer initially before they put out that press release that they had uncovered something that was unidentified before they took it back. So that's essentially where it started. And I just want to add at this point, uh, you haven't talked about any bodies or anything like that. So, yeah. Okay. The bodies do come years later. So there is a movement in 1978 with Stanton Friedman, actually, who's investigating the whole Roswell incident. So this is 1947 going up to 1978. So that is... 31. 31 years later. So Stanton Friedman is a nuclear physicist and an advocate for UFOs. He tracks down Jesse Marcel, who's the guy posing with the debris in the photo. And he also tracks down multiple other witnesses from Roswell 30 years later. And one of these witnesses is Barney Barnett. So he's an engineer for the government and he provided corroborate statement to Jesse Marcel. However, his included small bodies near that were recovered near the debris. There are many, many published works 
to do with Roswell. So there's also the Roswell incident published in 1980 and has what claims to be over 90 witnesses of the events as well. I love UFOs. (laughs) I love sightings like this. This is over 30 years later after that these are coming in with witnesses and following up with witnesses and their stories as well. And I honestly don't think you're brushing over like some people doing some research in these prior 30 years. Like there's a big break between the event actually. It's a huge break. These people who are investigating these are hard hitters. Stanton Friedman, he's well known in the UFO community. Not to discredit his work at all, but that is a huge break to go back. I mean, even for someone like Jesse Marcel, three, 30 years later to come back and question him about something that he experienced. And I mean, in things like these, the human mind is so fallible in memory. So to come back 30 years later to be questioning something uh, about something that they witnessed 30 years ago, a lot can be, a lot can change. Your memory can. Yeah. And the big thing here is nobody's actually made him replay it in his mind over these 30 years. He's just told it as an off story. Nobody's asked him to recount the whole day. Nobody's dug in deeper, at least on a journalistic level or an investigatory level, to say, look, elaborate on that. So he's been telling this as a funny anecdote that gets a little funnier every time he tells it. At least, sorry, this this is me. Looking at it from an outsider, trying to just show it. It is. Has been embellished. I mean, it, and 30 years is 30 happen. years. Yeah. I mean, you asked me to do to recount it, something that happened to me 30 years ago. I mean, I was three. <laughs> I mean, you look at me 10 years ago, even for me to recount something like I mean, if I was to witness strange debris that was nothing of this planet, I mean, maybe I might remember it a little better, but I mean, I can't tell you that I remember it exactly. Yeah. And we can, as humans, we can greatly play up our memories and make them a lot greater or less than our minds in that time, especially if we're being told that, no, that was not unidentified. That was definitely identified flying object, which was a weather balloon. That's Roswell in a nutshell. Um, And a lot of the information that you're going to keep hearing that goes past that are deathbed confessions. Uh, a lot of deathbed confessions when it comes to uh, Roswell and it's literal it's not like something somebody had sometimes it is somebody had something written and prepared for their death a lot more of it is right before you die saying something along the lines of and there were aliens at Roswell and then they die yeah for probably many reasons that you see something like this I mean it's very well that people could have been signing non-disclosure agreements about this Given the circumstances, I mean, especially when they're immediately taking back a statement that they put out, they very well and probably did put out a a large number of them. But there were a lot of affidavits that were given by military personnel upon their death, whether that be just to get something off their chest. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's definitely worth noting. And just an honorable mention that... There's an airbase near Roswell that was one of the only nuclear capable during that time. And it was home to a former Nazi rocket scientist, which was part of Operation Paperclip. 
and that Air Force Base was Walker Air Force Base and Operation Paperclip is something that we will get into in another episode that I'm noting now. Not that we wouldn't get to Operation Paperclip. Fairly fun to mention. Yeah. Uh, it, and for anybody, I can't just mention Project uh, Paperclip without mentioning just a little, even a little bit of what it was, which was an, an attempt to obtain secrets of nuclear scientists from the Nazis, which were... I think we need to change that a little bit. It was not an attempt. It happened. It was a very precise... Movement it was a planned operation of to move many countries yeah. to bring scientists, notable scientists that had a lot of knowledge from the Nazis over to the Americas and give them straight up pardons and bring them. Over. Yes, sorry, attempt was the wrong word. It was the very calculated move. It up. was a deliberate operation. <laughs> it was a very deliberate operation. move of. Yeah. We need these guys to. To say, hey, either come work in for NASA and our other rocket operations or go rot in jail. <laughs> what a country. Because you did some really bad stuff. What a country to live in. So we kind of have the Cold War and UFOs starting around 1940. Does this go here? Well, I, I think there's one thing you need to touch on before this, and that is Kenneth Arnold. He did see his things prior to Roswell by a week or two. Kenneth Arnold, uh, 1947, I believe it's June 28th. He is a retired pilot from World War II. He's out flying a plane and he sees flying saucers, what he describes fully as flying saucers. This is the sighting that people always go back to, to say this is the start of the 1947 UFO flap and specifically where the term flying saucer comes from. I believe he said they skipped through the sky like a saucer. I believe, yes. That sounds very familiar. And this is, that's really, this Kenneth Arnold sighting, really what people define as the modern era of flying saucers. From Kenneth Arnold, we get into Roswell. And then from there, you can keep going. So we have the Cold War and UFOs and nukes starting in the 1940s, spanning over the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. It's more just worth a mention right here. There's a lot that I want to touch on on this, which is UFOs and nukes. Huge amount of sightings with this. And I just mentioned kind of that there was... Just bizarre interactions. Very bizarre. Um, and I think it goes back to them. And I mean, this is going to be a very vague statement, but things being not doing any harm to anything oh <laughs> yeah this is gonna come up a lot um and which is actually going to be part two of this episode as we're at 50 minutes right now a lot of this stuff gets pushed aside by the people who should be investigating it because they don't want to do it because it has this bad stigma attached to it and they will then have to spend money from their budget fixing the problem they got no yeah. idea how to fix the problem, so they just kind of pretend there is no problem. And you're going to see that. To an uh, extent. Exactly. And then even with the declassification with this Tom DeLong to the Stars Academy, the military is releasing these things saying, okay, well, there's no threat to the U.S. on these videos. You can have them. It doesn't, you can't see any technology that's classified or anything like that. So this one might be a legitimate threat to 
something on these ones too. Essentially, UFOs are spotted hovering over UFO si silos, um, and they uh, go nuclear into nuclear silos. Nuclear yeah. silos, <laughs> UFO silos. They both. They sound are in the ground. UFOs sound better. <laughs> <laughs> the factory and they disable the newts into no-go status while they're spotted nearby just a quick aside on that one so 1947 also marks the start of the ufo wave so more than 800 actually no i want to go back to that i think a lot of concern with the cold war was these aircrafts being russia spy planes and stuff like that so it does seem to get a lot of attention during this kind of ufo wave that happens at this time yes and um, that because is they didn't know what they, they were dealing with everything starts getting kind of classified for national security so that happens there and there's more than 800 cases reported across the u.s in less than a month yeah, and this um, is starting from June 24th, 1947, ending sometime near the end of July, beginning of August of 1947, with Kenneth Arnold's spotting of disc-like objects flying near Mount Rainer in Washington State. His sighting was also corroborated from people on the ground seeing these as well. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. But I, I think this is a good ending point for the first half of this episode. People are starting to see there's a UFO flap. Uh, this is the starting of the ramping up of the Cold War. So people are starting to ask the government to do something. In the next episode, what we're going to be looking or second half of this episode, what we're going to be looking at is what the government's response was and really where research begins and where it goes from there. Got it. Can't wait. Yeah. So thank you, everybody who's listening, who's probably just me and you uh, editing it. At this time. <laughs> yes. Maybe in the future, it'll be like it, on the... Yeah, if you have any ideas for episodes, we're going to have to create a Gmail account for this. Um, to come. I'm sure there's lots of things up. to come. Yeah. We will be following this episode up in one week or two weeks time with the second portion. And then moving on from there to a quick overview of cryptids, cryptozoology as a study area. And then um, certainly more and more to come. Yeah. We got some good stuff. We got some great stuff. Thank you all for listening and we will see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to Journey to the Fringe. Uh, we are a new podcast, and we would very much so appreciate if you could like, subscribe, share, and if possible, provide a five-star review or some sort of feedback if you feel like there's anything we could be doing better. But five-star review is the best thing you can do for us, as it does help, unfortunately, in the world of algorithms. Yes. Please and thank you. And you can follow us on social media at Journey to the Fringe. We don't have all of them, so try searching it. Instagram, we're on Facebook. Right now we have a subreddit. And if there's anything you want to hear in the future, feedback, anything, you can email us at journeytothefringe at gmail.com. If there's something we're missing that you'd like to see us on, please let us know. We only know what we know. So we're only and in so many places. Also, if you feel that we have gotten anything wrong, please let us know there as well, as we would really like to have the best information possible. We are mm -hmm. only as good as our research. And if you can provide anything further, it's a real help. Or if you want to share anything, we yes. will definitely, we're open to shares. So yes, thank you for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.